in our series. This is the second week of our series. We're going to go through the whole Gospel of Luke, uh, as I told you all last week. And last week, of course, we were in the first chapter, obviously, and we had the um, we had the uh, the, the angels. Uh, show themselves, or Gabriel show himself to uh, Zechariah, um, and then to Mary, uh, and that's where we ended, and so this week we have another somewhat lengthy passage, they'll shorten up after this week, but we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 80, and so I invite you to hear these words. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, what then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his child David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. 
to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would speak to us through this lengthy text. A text that is likely known to many, if not most of us. And that you would speak anew. May we hear you. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So as you heard, our message today begins with Mary going with haste to Elizabeth, right? In other words, she's in quite the hurry. And there's differing opinions as to why exactly she was in a hurry. Some people think that she's just in a hurry because she's really excited and she can't wait to come share this good news with Elizabeth and to see the good news that she had heard about Elizabeth. Others, though, would suggest that perhaps she's in such a hurry because she wants her news to be confirmed. She's not entirely convinced that she's actually uh, pregnant with Jesus. And she wants to see if, if Elizabeth is pregnant, then she will perhaps then be encouraged to believe that she also is carrying the Messiah. And she, she goes with haste. Now, my guess is maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit of both. Most of us know what it's like to both have faith and yet at the same time, to have a bit of doubt, to wonder whether or not this thing to which we have faith, whether or not it's actually really 100% true. I always love the line where the person says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, please help my unbelief. And so there is Mary, and she's running, and what does she get from Elizabeth? She gets remarkable encouragement. Because when, whenever Mary sees her, all of a sudden the baby inside, or whenever Elizabeth, or Mary sees Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth, it gets very confusing, by the way, two moms, two babies, it gets very confusing. Whenever Mary sees Elizabeth, all of a sudden the baby inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaps for joy. And she begins to shout out, it's been pointed out that this is a fairly muted first chapter. John is literally mute in this passage, or Zechariah is mute. Mary probably didn't make any big proclamations about her pregnancy. It would not have made sense for her to have done so. And Elizabeth, we're told, is in solitude for five months. There's a remarkable amount of silence and solitude, a remarkable amount of quiet. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden, Elizabeth just begins to shout. She breaks the quiet. She breaks the silence by saying, how blessed am I? And how blessed is it to be in the presence of of you, Mary, who is going to carry the Savior. It's this great excitement, this great and remarkable encouragement that all of a sudden, Mary is able to receive. In a moment, the words of Gabriel to Mary are confirmed through the mouth of Elizabeth. Tim Keller says that more often than not, the place where we see and experience the presence of the Lord is in the community of God's people. And I feel quite 
convinced of the fact that more often than not, the ways in which we are encouraged in the Lord is through the words of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like Mary, all of us need a sense of encouragement. All of us need to know that God is within us. All of us need to know and to be able to point out, have pointed out in our lives where God is at work. And what I really like about this scene is you have Elizabeth, who, as we said last week, is old, is, is getting on in years, as Zechariah describes. And you have the young Mary. And you have the older encouraging the younger. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of this past week. On Wednesday, the Zionsville School District had an E-Day, um, uh, which means that at least our middle schoolers were able to uh, come here and um, uh, because they had the day off. And so, well, not the day off. They were supposed to do work. Did you finish that? Mostly. Okay, good. So they, they, they had some work to do from home, if you will. And so, uh, so Brendan created three hours, uh, our, our middle school director, for them to come in here and to come into our gathering space uh, where they were to study for an hour. And actually, I'm amazed at how many of them were actually studying for an hour. I can assure you, when I was in middle school, there's no way I would have been studying for an hour if all of my friends were here. Uh, but they were studying, um, and there was about 25 of them, and then they had a chance to eat pizza, and then they got to play games. And so there was this great space. And amongst all those kids that were here uh, was Steve. Went Now, I didn't tell Steve I was going to bring up his name. He wouldn't have been very happy about that, but I'm going to anyways. And if you know Steve, you know that Steve is basically a middle schooler in a 50-something-year-old body, right? I mean, that's a, a great body, but, but uh, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's Steve, right? So he has this great, he's just this, this, this really kind of kid personality, if you will. And so he was here, and, and I love seeing Steve kind of here and interacting. And one of the things that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is the fact that whether the middle schoolers are conscious of it or not, the fact that you had Steve who was here, who took some time off from of work or whatever else he could have been doing, almost anything else, and he spent those three hours with middle schoolers. The only reason you do that is God. <laughs> and his presence there, right, volunteering, his presence there to say, you all are important for me to give up three hours of my day just to kind of hang out with you and check in with you. This is telling these middle schoolers, I assure you, that I matter. That I matter because of who God is. And that God is here. And the fact that Brendan was here with them. And the fact, let me be clear, that we create this space, right? This gathering space. We have said from the beginning of ZPCs that this wants to be a body for the community where people are invited to come in, right? Remember that since we opened up in the mid-90s, over 3 million million people have come through these doors. And so we had all these people coming through, and you had these middle schoolers coming through. And when you invite middle schoolers to come into your gathering space, the main place where we have to eat pizza, do you know what happens? It makes a mess. Go look at the carpet. You will find tomato sauce and a random pepperoni somewhere. But we say, do you know what's more important than how beautiful this looks? What's more important is the fact that you know that you are invited into this space. That you matter because you matter to God. There's this confirmation of the fact that you are love. When Elizabeth looks at Mary, there's this great encouragement. I see it even in my own, uh, in my own family. And I bring this up only because I know my kids best. I, I see what happens. There are a lot of adults here not through any official program, who help our kids 
We got people like Jen or Teresa or, or Kelly or Karen. There's lots of other names that I, could, uh, that I could add in here. Becky. There's lots of different names. And do you know what they do? They pay attention to our children. And they're, they don't take offense to this, any of you, but they're very ordinary people. And they do very ordinary things. Like have ice cream with them. Or invite them into their home. Or listen to them. Or play an instrument with them. And by simply saying, I'm creating this space, they are confirming to them that they matter. That God is working through them. That they are loved by God. All of us, as sisters and brothers in Christ, all of us have the giftings to be a confirmation that God is with them just like Elizabeth was to Mary. And you know what I love about this? Is that right after this happens, immediately after Elizabeth speaks these words to them, Mary comes alive. Isn't that a beautiful image that when we begin to confirm in others the fact that God is with them, that God is inside of them, just as Elizabeth did to Jesus, people, usually maybe not this quickly as Mary did, but people begin to become alive. And so Mary comes alive, and she begins to do a sing out, what is oftentimes called the Magnificat, and she begins to proclaim the wonders of God. Now I want to take a moment to pause on Mary for just a moment. We Protestants have a weird relationship with Mary. And by that, what I mean is we basically have no relationship at all. Uh, Mary, we kind of look at her we're like, hey, thanks for being the delivery vehicle. Now move on. Let's get to Jesus. And probably a part of the reason why we do that is we're not as comfortable with how some other strains uh, of Christianity deal with Mary. I, I get that. Um, I just got done reading a book by an Orthodox priest, and I will tell you that there were times when he was saying things about Mary that I was like, whoa, settle down. That's a little, you know, we're lifting her up a little bit too high. I'm not always comfortable as a Presbyterian with the ways in which Mary is at times lifted up. But I think we've probably done her a bit of an injustice by not at least giving her some more credit here. One of the things that you see, of course, is that whenever we think about Mary, we tend to think about her almost solely as the kind of mother who is tender. Right? C.S. Lewis points out that if you see almost all the Madonnas that are painted or sculpted, that they're almost always just this very peaceful, you know, uh, uh, very much just a gentle soul. And that's important. And if you've had a mother like that, you know that's incredibly important. It's good to be loved and cared for. But then you begin to read what Mary actually sang and proclaimed in this Magnificat. Let's, let's look at that again, what she says. He, being God, has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imaginations of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is no nice little children's tale. Can I see that again real quick? Nice little children's tale, right? This is not, oh, sweetheart, he's filled the hungry with good things. Oh, he sent the rich away empty. No. This is he filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is an oppressed woman 
who has no rights and who was young and who was proclaiming that all of those who are over her, that they are going to be wiped clean and that God's kingdom looks very different than the kingdom all around them. There is a ferocity to this Mary. It's a ferocity that many mothers have. I've seen it. I've seen it with my mother. But it's a part of Mary that we don't oftentimes think about. And I think that we do an injustice to Mary if we only see her as being a nurturer. That we also need to see that there are times when our faith is a faith of passion. Not for everybody. I know we tend to be more reserved. But I think we need to give a little bit more license for the energy and for the fact that when we are doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly, there are times when that's going to take more passion and more energy and almost even more ferocity than just a nurturing Mary. Now the other thing that I found interesting, that I honestly, I don't think I've ever thought about before. You can take that down, Rachel, thank you. And, and I don't know why I never thought about it before, probably because, and we've talked about this, when it comes to Jesus being fully God and fully human, most of us are much more comfortable with the fully God part. The fully human part is a little bit strange. We get a little bit uncomfortable with that. I, I get it. I do as well at times. But one of the interesting things that a couple of commentators pointed out is that what Jesus, how much Jesus' words in three decades from his birth echo the words of Mary. Now, we don't like to think about Jesus learning very much. We don't oftentimes think about that. And yet at the end of the next chapter, chapter 2, we will see that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. Which means if you grow in stature and wisdom, it means that you have room to grow. You have room to learn something. Now, I probably always just kind of thought, well, that just kind of soaked in from God the Father. Just kind of slowly kind of soaked in, right? And yet, when you begin to look at Mary's words here... You begin to see something else. Remember this. Mary says that God has lifted up the lowly. And Jesus will say, blessed are the meek and the poor in spirit. Mary cries out, as we just said, that God has sent the rich away empty. And Jesus will tell the disciples it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Mary sings out here before Jesus has ever been birthed that God has brought down the powerful and Jesus will reprimand James and John for their desire to sit at the right and the left, for their desire to be full of power. Now honestly, I'm not sure what to do with this information other than just simply to point out again that God knew what God was doing whenever he had Mary or Jesus born into this family. And it's again this great reminder, as we have this baptism here in a little bit, it is this great reminder of the role that parents and that covenant parents, which is all of us, have when it comes to our children. That they will say what we say and do what we do more often than what we would, are comfortable with. That means the good and the ill. But it's also this beautiful testimony to Mary about the way in which she raised Jesus. And when Jesus got up to 30 years, all of a sudden, in an amazing way, he begins to echo those very words of Mary 30 years earlier. Now, there's one last thing I want us to think about when it comes to this particular passage. 
And that's the song of Zechariah. This is a song that's oftentimes called the Benedictus. And in this song, you, you may recall, first of all, that if you weren't here last week, you won't recall this, which is that Zechariah has been silent for nine months. For nine months, he'd remained speechless. And his tongue was only released, as we heard today, once he said, yes, this child is John, who we will come to find out is John the Baptist. And one of the things I want us to see about this Benedictus, the song that Zechariah then begins to sing, uh, is that he begins, of course, with the faithfulness of God, right? He begins with talking about Abraham, and he mentions David and, and the prophets and how they protected the Israelites from the enemies, how God has done all those things. And then, almost like he's taking the baby up in his arms, he looks at the child and he says, you... And he begins to tell him that basically you are going to be a part of this redemption process. You are going to be a part of this larger story. Now, please hear me, first of all. Let me say this. Let me just point out how remarkable it is to be able to look at your own baby and think that this is going to happen. Now, most of us think that our babies are pretty special, right? Okay. But it takes an enormous amount of faith to look at a baby that is just kind of sleeping or crying or eating or other things and be able to look and to be able to say, oh, you are preparing the way of the Lord. It takes a remarkable amount of faith and yet when Zechariah is looking at this child, that's what he begins to say. And so one of the things I want to point out to you is this. One of the things, because Scott Hosey says this, and I love this line. He says that Zechariah is painting this remarkable tapestry. Remember we talked about tapestry a while back when we looked at, at Psalm 145. And we talked about you have this tapestry of Scripture. You have all the people in Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But that tapestry continues. And as you kind of continue to look, you find yourself in that in that tapestry and you see yourself and then you kind of go back and you see the person who told you about Christ and then you go back and when you keep going back you see all of this connection then and I love that image and here is here is John the Baptist right and and here's Zechariah looking at him and saying you're a part of this tapestry and what I want to encourage us to continue to consider is that every act of justice and mercy Every humble thing that we do, what we are doing, we're in this kingdom, right? Please hear me. You're a part of this tapestry. But every time you do those acts, when you feed the hungry, when you care for the poor, you are kind of weaving one more thread to make yourself even more clear. You begin to see even more clearly exactly how you fit in to the tapestry of the kingdom of God. And what I also want you to remember, because this is what we talked about with the 145th Psalm, is that you at some point will be handing that instrument to the next person. And that person will then begin to also begin to weave and to thread more and more the tapestry of the kingdom of God. And so we see this here with John the Baptist. We see it with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we see it as we continue to go back. But the question I have is this. How is it that Zechariah is able to go from this place where he had 
had, had a faith that was very conflicted, where he could not believe Gabriel, where he had Gabriel in the sanctuary of the Lord, as we said last week, and yet still, still, he had needed another sign. He goes from this place to all of a sudden a place where he is shouting out that this little crying baby is going to prepare the way of the Lord. How does Zechariah make that transition? We talked about this a couple of years ago. And the reason it seems to me, at least one of the main reasons, is because Zechariah, for nine months, had not been able to say a single word. Zechariah just had to simply sit there and listen. And sit there and watch the womb begin to grow of Elizabeth. And sit there and listen and hear as Elizabeth and Mary proclaimed the glory of God. Now, when I've thought about this punishment of silence, for the longest time, I always thought that that had to be about the worst punishment that anybody could ever give someone. I have always loved to talk. And so I always wanted to talk. That's why these sermons go so long. And so I always thought it was the worst, but then as I slowly began to kind of understand and appreciate silence more, one of the things that I began to see is the remarkable genius of this particular punishment of Zechariah is not just that it cost him, but that it actually transformed him. And what I'm convinced of is that in the gestation time of those nine months for Elizabeth where John was growing inside of her is the exact same amount of time that it was for Zechariah to also be born anew, to begin to hear anew, to begin to see anew, to begin to speak anew. That those nine months, that gestation period, it transformed, it changed Zechariah. It's what we called a couple years ago the womb of silence that Zechariah was in. And we will begin to see this throughout Luke. As you read through Luke, as we go through Luke, at least nine times, you can count, there may be more, but at least nine times, Luke tells us that Jesus went off on his own, that he went off on his own, that he was silent, that he was a time of solitude. Now, if you were writing a story about somebody, let's say Jesus, you know you only have so many pages to write, you might talk about Jesus going out into solitude and silence one time. But there's so many great things that Jesus is doing. Wouldn't you kind of then just eliminate the other times and just say, well, they get the point. Now let me tell about another miracle. Let me tell about another interesting uh, interaction that Jesus has. Maybe do something else. But not Luke. Luke tells us that Jesus went off on his own in solitude. Not one time. Not two times. Not three times. Not four. Not five. Not six. Not seven. Not eight but at least nine times. And one of those times, I think it's in the fifth chapter, Luke says, well, Jesus went off many times on his own like this. He could have just said that once. But what he's beginning to tell us is clearly, right? I mean, this is a message that even we can get. When someone tells you something nine times, it probably means it has some significance. 
And John Mark Homer suggests that actually a part of this is the fact that the busier that Jesus gets, the more often he goes off on his own. C.S. Lewis, uh, I've used this quote before in this kind of upside-down book uh, called The Screwtape Letters. He talks about the fact that uh, where, where it's kind of from the perspective of a demon teaching his, uh, his demon nephew exactly how to afflict somebody. And he says this, you know what we demons hate more than anything else? We hate music and we hate silence. In fact, one day our hope is that the world will be nothing but noise. And in many ways, let me be clear, they have been successful in that. There is a vast amount of noise and busyness all around us. And when you have no space for silence or solitude, you cannot be present to God, to yourself, or to others. One of the things that we talked about before we started these kind of longer services We've said it many times now, is that we're going to have more space for quiet in here. And our hope, actually, is that everything that we do in worship is modeled, is the model for what we do Monday through Saturday. We read scripture. We'd love for you to read scripture Monday through Saturday. We sing. We'd love for you to find songs that you can sing or listen to Monday through Saturday. We gather together as a community. We would love for you to be in a home group where you gather together weekly and do that. And we want you to spend time in silence. But that takes a great amount of intentionality. I don't know if you've ever discovered this, but for me, so often, if things are completely quiet, I am desperate to do something. Pull out my phone, turn on the music, do something else. There's this sense that things aren't right if there's any kind of quiet. It makes me very uncomfortable. It probably makes me far too reflective. It makes me think about things I don't want to think about. So let me just play a podcast. That way I can just, quote, get smarter. But as someone has said, far too many of us, even if it's something Christian we're listening to, are, are basically living off the spirituality of somebody else rather than actually just creating space for us to cultivate our own. And so we're going to be super specific here. We have a challenge for you. For the next three months, actually three months in a week, because that takes you right up through Christmas. We have three things that we want to encourage you to do. Not all three things, just do one of them. You can do more. You can try them out. You can do your own thing. It doesn't matter to us. But if you want to have some kind of tool to say, this is what we want to do, our hope, of course, is that you continue it far after those three months. But at least those three months, right? Maybe that, I don't know what that is a gestation period of. What animal is a three-month, uh, anyone know? I should have looked that up. Pigs? Probably or roughly? Probably? That's unhelpful. All right. Uh, Kurt Street, three months, what a pig, what do you think? Good, all right, all right, so a pig. So the gestation period of a pig. Going to be a piglet at the end of it, <laughs> a piglet of prayer. I got to think through some things a little bit more for the next uh, service. 
This is just the, this is just the pregame, sorry. <laughs> Three different things that you can try. The first is this. We've mentioned this one before. To be still. Take 10 minutes at the start of each day. Before, I should have italicized that, you check your emails or the news and simply be still. You may have to wake up 10 minutes earlier than you, than you usually do. I understand if you have young kids at home, this can be difficult. I get all of that. But 10 minutes just simply to be still. Find a place. Find a womb of silence in your house. Most of us have at least one place where we can hide away. It might literally be a closet. I know people who have a closet. They find a place and they close the door for 10 minutes. Maybe you think about nothing. Maybe you keep worrying about something. If you worry about something, just say, okay, I'm going to set that up on a shelf. And you reflect. You think back about your day or about the day beforehand. You wonder, where did you see God? You think about things for which you can be grateful. Some people say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, as a way of just remembering who God is and who we are. Whatever you want to do in those 10 minutes, think about doing that. Secondly, Four days a week. If it's only three days a week, that's fine. Take a 30-minute walk outside. Don't listen to anything. Well, you can listen to cars. You can listen to birds. You can listen to those things. But don't have anything in your ears and simply be present to God's creation around you. Just get out and just walk. and See what the Lord places in front of you. See how present you might be able to be to those around you. And finally... Each day, the first time you are in the car alone, if you want to try this, spend the drive being quiet rather than listening to anything. Maybe you have a 20-minute drive to work. Don't turn anything on. Just be present. Ask the Lord to help to draw your mind towards things that God would like your mind to be drawn to. Now, in order to help you with this, uh, we've made this magnet here. It says cultivating silence and has all those things. And that magnet will be available to you next Sunday. <laughs> Why? Because the company didn't have enough workers, they told us on Friday. So I apologize for that. But we do have something else. I think we made out some, uh, a, harder, a, a piece of paper that will have that. And next week, you can have this as a way of putting it on your refrigerator or wherever else is helpful for you. And to just reflect, take one of those things. Again, I'm not asking you to do all the three of these things every day. But just simply to create space. One of the greatest gifts to ourselves is to create space for yourself. By doing so, you become more present to God. You become more present to others. You begin to see, just like Elizabeth did, the ways in which God is present in the lives of others. As you begin to create space, you become more present. You become more aware of the Spirit. And it is a gift, make no mistake, to the community that is around us. A community that is frazzled. That is full of anxiety because of the fact that there is constant noise in their lives. We have an opportunity to be a presence of peace. So I hope and pray that you will be up for this challenge for the next three months. And we're going to begin, even now after this prayer, with just spending a couple of minutes as Jason plays a song, just being still and preparing our hearts uh, before we will have the baptism of Henrik and Luna. Let us pray. 
God, amidst all of the noise of our world and the noise inside of our own hearts and lives, we need these wombs of silence, these spaces where we can simply be still in your presence. And so I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us to be a people who are intentional about creating this space. That in so doing, we might begin to reflect you and your spirit. And with that, I encourage us again to simply be still.